Hi, I'm Paul Jay. Welcome to the analysis.news. This segment is produced in collaboration with Interpress Service, which provides news and views from the global south. And please don't forget the donate button at the top of the webpage, a subscribe button on YouTube, and, and share this wherever you can. I'll be back in a second. The COVID crisis in India has reached catastrophic proportions. Reuters reports that, quote, a top scientific advisor to the Indian government warned on Wednesday the country would inevitably face further waves of the coronavirus pandemic as almost 4,000 people died in the space of a day. Most experts think these numbers are severely underestimated. With hospitals scrabbling for beds and oxygen in response to a deadly second surge in infections, the World Health Organization said in a weekly report that India accounted for nearly half the coronavirus cases reported worldwide last week and a quarter of the deaths. Many people have died in ambulances and car parks waiting for a bed or oxygen, while morgues and crematoriums struggle to deal with a seemingly unstoppable flow of bodies. In spite of months of calls for the relaxation of intellectual property rules on pharmaceutical products to expand the global vaccine supply, the World Trade Organization has yet to do so. CNN reports that, quote, divisions within the Biden administration persist over whether to ease some patent restrictions on vaccines, according to people familiar with the matter, as the president nears a decision on loosening some intellectual property rules on pharmaceutical products, a move that could expand global vaccine supply. Officials said an announcement on the administration's position could come over the next 48 hours as the World Trade Organization begins a meeting on Wednesday to discuss the matter. President Joe Biden has faced similar scrutiny over how and when he will distribute surplus vaccine doses abroad, with some advocates accusing him of not doing enough to help struggling countries like India vaccinate their populations. The patent debate has pitted some of the administration's health and development experts against those inside the White House who are wary of angering major drug manufacturers like Pfizer and Moderna, whose products have allowed the country to begin returning to normal, according to people familiar with the dynamics Others inside the administration are concerned that the optics of Biden reversing a pledge he made as a candidate to, quote, absolutely positively and, quote, commit to sharing vaccine technology if elected president. Well, now, just before recording this interview, there was an announcement from the Biden, Biden administration on Wednesday. The, the Biden administration said, quote, the U.S. will support a proposal to waive intellectual property protections for COVID-19 vaccines, joining an effort to increase global supply and access the life-saving shots as the gap between rich and poor nations widen. Quote, we are for the waiver at the WTO. We are for what the proponents of the waiver are trying to accomplish, which is better access, more manufacturing capability, more shots in arms said the U.S. Trade Representative Catherine Tai in an interview on Wednesday. I should add, more than 100 members of the Democratic-led U.S. House of Representatives had previously signed a letter to President Biden urging him to support the proposed waiver. 
Now joining us to discuss both the situation in India and what can be done about making vaccinations more widely available and the significance of this uh, announcement today on the U.S. position on the waiver. First of all, is Ricardo Petrella. He's an Italian political scientist and economist, a longtime fighter for human rights. In 2003, he set up the University of the Public Good. He's a, an emeritus professor at Catholic University in Louvain in Belgium. And he's been organizing support for the easing of patent restrictions on vaccines throughout Europe. Also joining us is Vijay Prashad. He's a historian, journalist, and commentator. He's the executive director of Tricontinental Institute for Social Research and the chief editor of Leftward Books. His latest book is Washington Bullets, a history of the CIA, coups, and assassination. Thank you both for joining me. It's a pleasure. It's an honor to be with you, Ricardo. So... Before we get going uh, on what what's happening as as we speak, because this announcement by the Biden administration has just happened minutes before we're talking, uh, the WTO is meeting again tomorrow, and with this announcement, perhaps there'll be some kind of uh, decision made on the waiver. We'll, we'll yet to see. Uh, by the time we publish this. There might be a decision. So if there is, we'll, we'll add that in the text underneath the video. But all that being said, let's start with the situation in India, Vijay. Uh, you're in the United States, but you're in close touch with colleagues and friends in India. So, so w what's the situation and, and why is it so out of control? Well, uh, Paul, there have been almost 21 million confirmed cases of COVID-19 in India for the last two weeks, there have been over 300,000 cases a day. Uh, one day, it clocked above 400,000. These are confirmed numbers. Um, most people say that this number is not credible, um, that the numbers are far in, a, in much greater than, than what is being reported. Um, the uh, situation is quite dire in certain parts of the country. For instance, in the capital city, Delhi, Private and public hospitals have run out of beds, have run out of ventilators. Catastrophically, they've run out of uh, the key drugs and they've run out of medical oxygen. Uh, now, th this should surprise or rather horrify people that, um, you know, a, a country of the kind of industrial scale of India uh, does not have hospitals that produce their own medical oxygen. It's not that difficult to produce medical grade oxygen, you have to take the nitrogen out of the air and so on. But they just simply don't have the industrial capacity. And Delhi right now has seen two train loads of oxygen come into the city. You know, that's the, the level of the collapse. Um, you asked, why has there been this? There are two things that need to be said. First, um, India, like many of the other advanced capitalist countries, has totally, totally destroyed whatever public medical system um, the country had built up in an earlier era. India spends, the government spends 1.3% of GDP on healthcare. 1.3% of GDP. That's scandalously low, you know, scandalously low. India has one of the highest out-of-pocket, um, you know, uh, uh, expenditures of ordinary people having to spend out-of-pocket because there is no real medical insurance schemes. Uh, there is no social uh, insurance scheme available. Government hospitals have been allowed to erode and so on. Um, the industrial capacity, production capacity for hospital goods inside the country is not as robust as it should be. 
you know, there was evidence that there was a pandemic in January, at least January of 2020. Mr. Modi, by March, by the time the WHO declared the pandemic, Mr. Modi was making a really kind of outrageous comments saying that India has ducked this pandemic, that India has you know, done really well and so on. In fact, in January of this year, Mr. Modi, in a virtual presentation to the World Economic Forum at Davos, bragged and said that, you know, India has, has just we've taken care of this. There's no more COVID-19 in India. And then he opened the door to two things, Paul. This is really quite stunning. Seven million people gathered in Hardwar in the province of Uttarakhand, which is governed by the BJP for the Kum Mela. Seven million people came to take a dip in the river. This Mela takes place every 12 years. Some astrologers said that this year it should happen in the 11th year. The government went along with that. They could have very well said, no, wait till next year. There's no kum this year. You know, the government could have done that. It's a right wing Hindu fundamentalist government. They could have exercised their, you know, their, their credibility as a spokesperson for the Hindus or whatever and said on public health grounds and on astrological grounds, you don't need to listen to this astrologer. Let's wait another year. No, they allowed roughly 7 million people, including the former royal family of Nepal, who have all got COVID now. And so this is the super spreader of super spreader events. There were uh, provincial elections, Paul, in four states and one union territory. The Bharatiya Janta Party of Mr. Modi put a lot of eggs in the basket of winning the provincial assembly in West Bengal, which has a population of 91 million people. That's my state. I was born in Calcutta, the capital of West Bengal. They held that election in five phase, in eight phases. Eight different days of voting. The reason they did that is they wanted Narendra Modi, the principal vote catcher, to hold as many mass rallies as possible. You see, if the if the election was compressed, he would only be able to do a few. They extended it over eight phases. And there is ample evidence that this was a super spreader thing. And by the way, the BJP lost the election in West Bengal despite Modi's um, you know, recklessness. You know, there is recklessness. There is incompetence and there is the structural uh, commitment to public austerity, you know, not building up the healthcare system. And, and just to put the last point in there about vaccines, India is known as the pharmacy of the world. You know, that's a phrase that gets thrown about. 60% of vaccines are produced in India, world vaccines produced in India. India started to export vaccines, 60 million here, you know, large numbers of vaccines for COVID-19 exported from India. But yet only 1% to 2% of Indians have been vaccinated. And even that drive has slowed down. One of my colleagues wrote recently at the rate at which India is vaccinating. And by the way, subsequent to her saying this, the vaccine drive has stopped. At the rate at which India is vaccinating, India will not be sufficiently vaccinated before November 2022. Now, your listeners may have forgotten what year we are in, Paul, because this whole period seems like we're living inside amber. Uh, we're not in 2020 any longer. That was last year. We're not in 2022 yet, even though Tejal has said we will not vaccinate till November 2022. We are in 2021. This is May. It's a long way to go to November. India, the pharmacy of the world, the country that produces more than 50% of world vaccines, will not vaccinate its population against COVID-19 until November 2022.
And that's if that date is to be believed. Now, we're going to do another interview with Vijay where we get more into the politics of India, uh, why this has all unfolded, because part of this story is the role of the Modi government uh, in, in being pandemic deniers at a criminal scale. But let's talk about to, in what ways Vijay has the uh, patent rights uh, and, the, and so far the refusal of the WTO to waive these rights. How has this affected India, uh, given they have such capacity to produce these vaccines? And given the, the hundreds of thousands of people that are dying in India, why doesn't Modi government say, excuse the language, uh, fuck you, pharmaceutical companies. We're going to make them anyway, because it's not I'm sure they know what's needed to make them. It's not like a secret recipe or something. They're, it's, it's, they're just respecting the, the, uh, the rule of the pharmaceutical companies' property rights. In fact, what you're saying is very interesting because in an earlier period, 20 years ago, India, Brazil, South Africa had just this conversation around AIDS drugs. At the time, Brazil declared a healthcare emergency. Um, Ricardo will remember this. South Africa decided, you know, we don't care about patent rights. India, Brazil, South Africa created a block called IBSA. And India just went ahead, produced AIDS drugs and sold it to these countries. And then the West had to deal with that. It was a fat accompli in, in a sense. You know, Bill Clinton opposed that. And by the way, Bill, Bill Clinton opposes the removal of patent rights on the vaccines. This is the same man who destroyed the only pharmaceutical uh, factory in Sudan, the Al Shifa factory, with his illegal bombing of that factory, calling it a terror production. I mean, these politicians have no credibility. They should not be listened to at all. But the issue in India is twofold, Paul, uh, two important points. One is that India is a very important exporter of drugs to the United States market. Um, they export off patent products, but they also produce patent products for the U.S. market, which is one of the world's best markets because drug prices are so high in the United States. It's a great place to sell to lots of money, money to be made in medicine. So Indian private sector drug companies don't want to go against any WTO rules for fear of being sanctioned for market entry into the United States. So although they can go ahead and make the Chinese and Russian vaccine, now don't forget, Chinese and Russian vaccine are made very important in the public sector. They're not made by private sector companies. These are made in the public sector. India could go ahead. But the Serum Institute, for instance, a private sector company in India, doesn't want to risk access to the U.S. market. So they won't break any WTO rules outright. Secondly, the United States first under Trump, but uh, Biden has not rolled this back. Trump invoked the Defense Production Act of 1950, which has prevented Indian pharmaceutical production manufacturers to import the much needed raw materials to make the vaccines. That's one of the reasons that vaccine production has basically slowed down in India. And it's not enough for the United States, for Catherine Tai to go to the WTO and say, let's negotiate on the patent. That's fine. But why doesn't Mr. Biden in, uh, reverse Trump's ruling using exercising the Defense Production Act to export things like high quality plastic and so on that is needed uh, for vaccine production. Because these uh, products that are needed 
are being imported from the United States and the Defense Production Act is preventing them from being exported. That's that's exactly correct. Okay. Okay, Ricardo, uh, this is not new, this demand to waive these intellectual property rights. India and South Africa, uh, I interviewed you uh, several months ago about this, and you have been you were campaigning on this, as, as were others, for months before we did the interview. I mean, it took these images on television of, of a catastrophe in India, of biblical proportions, uh, for, for Biden to move on this. Uh, so... How significant is this announcement today? Is is it at least an opening? Are you encouraged by what the, uh, the uh, trade representative said? First of all, I would say that I entirely share Vijay's analysis of the India uh, attitude and India Modi government policy. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, just I would uh, like to add that um, AstraZeneca. Uh, is uh, one of the greatest uh, uh, Western enterprise producing everything with the Serum Institute of India. And uh, the alliance between AstraZeneca and Serum Institute of India is one of the main features of today uh, pharmaceutical industry, vaccine industry in the world. And one of the reasons is that uh, I don't, I, I share with you reason saying that uh, Modi government position is not so sincere and clean as is the request from South Africa government for the waiver of the intellectual property rights. Because uh, uh, the today Indian government is more dictated and inspired by not the wealth and health of Indian people, but by strategic economic competitive purposes. And uh, one of the aim of uh, uh, being able to produce freely uh, vaccines is also an instrument to fight competition against China in the Asia market. And this is one of the strong elements for AstraZeneca to be in India as well. I stop about India, but uh, uh, I think that you were entirely right in describing the present position. Well, let me, let me just add one thing. I know, I'm, you know, I'm in Canada right now. And Canada got a big batch of AstraZeneca from India when, when, when people in India aren't getting vaccinated. Yeah, exactly. So this is very important, the fact that uh, India position is, uh, a, let's say, trouble element in the support of whoever uh, 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 um, provision or whatever regarding the intellectual property rights. I have the impression that the very recent statement from the representatives of the United States um, uh, administration, the WTO, uh, raises a lot of uh, questions. First of all, we must admit that everybody was waiting for, expecting for a change from the Biden administration. And I think that, uh, mediatically speaking, from a media point of view, uh, today's position of the Biden administration is a good, uh, is a good change because uh, they can claim that now Biden administration has heard the cry from the world people, from the poor people, that they understand that the crisis uh, uh, worldwide, that they must take extraordinary position. And Biden can now say that is really the, the 
the fact that the U.S. administration is taking again the moral political leaderships in fighting against the pandemia or pandemics, because this is a typical element of the U.S. policy, the leadership, the global leadership. And by taking the position that they have expressed Wednesday afternoon, they can claim, they say, hey, you see, we are doing because we are humanitarian inspired. We try to be partners with the others in the solution of the world problems. And not we don't want to be outside. We want to be active participants. And this is why they are insisting on that they are already on negotiations on how to implement the waiver proposal. And this is a, a key element. As a matter of fact, the change of Wednesday afternoon is cosmetic to my mind. Because, first of all, WTO trips uh, foresee, the treaties foresee, the, uh, as an exception, the compulsory licensing. The waiver is not anything new. The waiver is admitted by the treaties as an so-called exceptional facilities. Uh, it means that uh, accepting the waiver, U.S. administration today accepted the up to apply the WTO treaties. Where, why? Whereas they have been always opposed to the simple application of WTO treaties. Accepting the waiver, they just legally apply the treaties. They don't do anything new. They were exceptionally bad when they were against. Today, they are just according to the law. Second, uh, they, they, they are not do anything present. They don't show anything uh, 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 positive, uh, exceptional change. They are just applying WTO treaties, TRIPS rules. Second, they say, anyhow, like the treaties, they say that first, the most important thing is to protect intellectual property rights. Mrs. Tyre has declared that the U.S. administration strongly believes in intellectual property rights protection. This in, in her sentence, in her statement today. So they, again, don't change anything. And they want, in this sense, to to make sure to the pharmaceutical industry in USA and in Europe that they will protect intellectual property rights. They don't say, let's start immediately. Let's start immediately the application of the waiver. They say, let's start the negotiations. Start the negotiations, Mrs. Ty recognized, will take time may take years and uh, will imply uh, negotiations that can lead not to the uh, waiver, but for instance, to some practical, very empirical solutions in terms of uh, distributing doses of vaccines to the 92 most poor countries, uh, improving the logistics, improving the digitalization of uh, medical services, medical infrastructure, even in the low level 
low-income countries, which would be very convenient to the digital U.S. industry that keeps leadership in the world. And I call your attention on the fact that Mrs. Tai also has made the link between medical therapies, medical solutions, and digitalization solutions. Medical, the, 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 the COVID-19 pandemic is becoming an important theater of the fight for digitalization hegemony from the United States. And therefore, they say that they are going to participate in order to set up the rules of the digitalization in all services, including the medical and health services. This is a fundamental aspect of the strategy against pandemic, the digitalization. And they're ready to say, let's go in negotiation. Now, what will it mean in negotiation? They never, and I stop here, what that will mean in negotiation? that they will discuss about how to make more efficient and fast the delivery of a production. Do we expand the production of vaccines? The delivery by, by airplane, sea, uh, roads, uh, a much greater uh, number of doses to African countries, to Latin American countries, to Asia. And they increase the financing of a COVAX. This will be one most important uh, aspect of the negotiations. How to provide a COVAX, how to provide a COVAX with more exact. This is my reaction, the first reaction. And uh, these substantial things will not change as being as things are now. Okay. There's a, there's a report that Moderna and Pfizer are going to find ways to increase production and send more vaccines to India and other poor countries in order to avoid any lifting of property rights. Uh, what, what's your take on all of this, Fiji? Well, good for them because there is a public health emergency. And um, I think all roads must be opened. If they can find a way to get vaccines to India and actually have them at a very reasonable price. That's a key thing. There's no point sending vaccines from the United States and charging U.S. prices. Already there's a controversy in India because the Serum Institute was charging three, four times the, the price that it had earlier booked for each vaccine. So fine, let all kinds of things happen. Oxygen flown in if necessary, etc. It's a public health emergency. It's a crisis that must be taken care of. That's the immediate thing, Paul. So if they want to send it, let them send it. Now, what their motives are, that's a second issue. You, you put their motive on the table. Their motive being let Moderna, Pfizer give the vaccine so we don't have to lift the patent waiver. That may be the motive. I would say set the motive aside. If they're going to dispense relief, let the relief come, firstly. Secondly, I think there are long-term things on the table. I don't want to mix up the short-term and the long-term. In the short term, all relief must be provided. There's some long-term issues uh, here. You see, let's take vaccine production firstly um, and production capacities of pharmaceutical drugs in general. It's really interesting because if you look at the WTO, 
in the wto there is a there is an official group called ldcs less developed countries these are a block of countries and you have you have an official standing you can't just claim to be an ldc you know you have to go through a certain uh, stress test and you get placed on that list for a long time and in 2015 this was renewed ldcs this list of uh, less developed countries have the right to basically set aside patent protections and to produce generic drugs for their populations this is now there already in the books and the 2015 um you know ldc waiver in november 2015 waiver expires in 2033 we are well within the period when ldcs can provide vaccines but let me tell you here's the problem only one ldc has the capacity to produce vaccines and that's very few and that's bangladesh bangladesh is the only ldc that could produce um vaccines we have a scandalous medical production system in the world that relies on largely north atlantic states european and us companies that basically have squeezed out um a pharmaceutical and drug production in other parts of the world and of course bill clinton didn't help by bombing the al shifa pharmaceutical factory in khartoum but we need in the long term to return the issue paul of having regional pharmaceutical production units you know the south american countries need to come up with a plan of making south american drugs maybe and it need not be so continental it could be in a different way the horn of africa you know uh, southern africa etc every country doesn't have to produce every drugs but most of the important vaccine at least vaccine production capacity should be decentralized you know we should have the unctad the un conference on trade and development the you know uh, undp the imf all of them should come create a fund not for covax i'm not interested in covax that's a short term solution let's do that but let's produce a fund to create a vaccine production units around the world you know i'm in favor of creating immediately an intergovernmental panel on health threats in the same way as we have an intergovernmental planet on climate change let's create an intergovernmental planet on health threats we have been told by scientists that this pandemic is not the last that such pandemics are going to come frequently and we don't know even know when this is going to end so we need to set up using the major multilateral agencies who have money the imf needs to put standard drawing rights at at uh, at play essentially um, to help fund a uh, pharmaceutical production lines in regions of the world again it's not enough for us to rely on pfizer astrazeneca etc all publicly funded vaccines it's not just the production of the uh, intellectual property that's important it's the physical vaccine and for that you need to decentralize and in in that sense create a globalization of production um where so that countries like bangladesh can just come to scale and produce vaccines countries like ethiopia can just produce vaccines you don't have to wait for a plane load of refrigerated vaccines to come to you from europe or elsewhere you make your own vaccines well this isn't just a problem of the south canada is way behind United States and many other countries in the rollout of vaccination because Canada doesn't produce its own vaccines. They used to. We used to have publicly owned laboratory that could do this and they privatized it. They sold it to a French pharmaceutical company's company which is actually producing a flu vaccine but not COVID. 
and they didn't even try to order them to do COVID. Uh, and it's insane. So, so Canada actually that had plenty of money to buy vaccines and ordered enough vaccines, I think it was to do the population four times over, but couldn't get them delivered because they're all coming from countries that are vaccinating their own populations first. So it's, 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 so it's not just the South, the insanity, irrationality of all this. Uh, Ricardo, let me ask, let me ask you a question. Uh, the argument of the pharmaceutical companies is that without uh, intellectual property protection, uh, they, there's no motivation for them to invest in research and all this. Uh, is that true? Does that apply to this COVID vaccine? Everybody knows this is just a joke. This is a pharmaceutical industry joke because all, every, all data, all empirical observation shows that uh, uh, patents uh, among the strongest impeachment to share knowledge. And one of the big issues in pandemia is uh, the sharing knowledge. By patents, they have the monopoly over knowledge. And this is the greatest crime that our leaders have committed in the last 40 years, that they have given the monopoly of knowledge to private companies pushing profit purposes. They, uh, another second aspect is that uh, all data about the present production and investment in uh, anti-COVID-19 anti uh, vaccines, all uh, research expenditures have been financed by public budgets. AstraZeneca, we know, didn't spend any single penny for research, for, uh, despite the fact that it is based on Oxford University, eh? but because they got uh, all uh, their activities, research activities, uh, partners, payments, etc., financed by public money. And uh, Pfizer is the same, Moderna is the same. And even, even in the case of uh, anti-COVID vaccines, we observed that states have engaged, committed themselves with the advanced market commitments to buy and to pay the commercialization, not only the production, but also the commercialization of vaccines. The more so that the companies, pharmaceutical industry has not spent anything of a significant amount in terms of research funding, production fundings, and marketing fundings. This is a joke. And, and uh, uh, finally, we know that even Pfizer last year uh, spent just 12, 15%, according to figures, on R&D, on research and development, but they spent 40% of the investment resource into pharmaceutical publicity, advertising. We know since many, many years that the pharmaceutical industries always, on average, spend the double, the triple in advertising than on R&D. So it's a scandal that now all the vaccines that have been produced are pub have been publicly financed all vaccines. And then, then the public authorities and states have to buy themselves. And now again, 
they come with the idea of uh, strengthening the financial resource of COVAX thanks to public money. What I would add to this point, which is very important, is that we are talking, as I said, we are talking about a public policy. It's not a question of production. It's not a question of marketing. We are talking about a, a public policy, that the policy, health policy should be public, publicly financed, research should be publicly financed, production should be by public enterprises, distribution should be a public responsibility, assessment, analysis of the implementation of public should be a public assessment and not by just uh, uh, accounting companies, etc. And I would like to add as another argument vis-à-vis -vis what right. I said before, and it will be short. Why United States administration, if uh, they were sincerely in favor of a public world health, why they continue to maintain the debate on health policies within the framework of WTO, which is dealing with only trade? And why they don't accept that the pub health public policy, health problems in the world, be examined, discussed, and approved within the health world organization and all other uh, United Nations organizations? Why would they remain on the WTO approach? This is also a very significant aspect dimension right. that the U.S. administration does not want right. to change the basic elements and the basic ingredients of health policy for the world. Right. Uh, Vijay, uh, the, the China has offered assistance to India. China certainly, probably more than any country, has the capacity in terms of oxygen and masks and all the other things that are needed to deliver on, a, on a, an enormous scale. Uh, is India accepting, uh, accepting this, given that India is very closely allied with American, uh, the American sphere of influence and so on, and, and the American side and the American-China uh, rivalry? Well, um, as soon as the images you know, went out on the internet, uh, China's President Xi Jinping made a public statement essentially saying, you know, we'll send things. Um, at which point it's, you know, in this context, it's impossible to say no. Uh, it, it literally is impossible. And um, the problem is how to get things to India. Um, you know, that's the problem. But things have been coming in, including from China. Um, and now the issue is, of course, will this have a long-term impact? Uh, you know, uh, not enough relief can come in when you're talking about a country of 1.4 billion, Paul. I mean, that's the frank thing. You're not able to airlift enough. But what you need is for those who are, say, suffering in, in hospitals where there is no ventilators, no beds and so on, you can bring in uh, goods. I just, it's incredible. You know, people need to understand something. When the pandemic struck Hubei province, uh, this was in, in January, February and March of 2020, the Chinese government, the provincial government in Hubei and then the, the national government 
put enormous resources into fighting the infection. They built hospitals overnight to make sure that there was capacity. You, you remember this. Uh, there were photographs of these hospitals built from scratch. You know, in within like a week, there was a hospital up there, a modern functional hospital. Uh, the Communist Party doctors, doctors who are Communist Party members, announced to doctors in Hubei province that, look, if you don't want to stay and treat people in hot wards, you can leave. We'll take your place. It's pretty incredible. You know, that when so that famous video of, of doctors standing in a row, removing their masks when the hospital was closed down, when the infection was basically broken, they all had Communist Party emblems on. You know, people may not have noticed that, but it's it's quite something. Um, you know, in India, you just, we're not seeing that. We're not seeing the government say, you know what, there's a problem in Delhi. So just outside Delhi, we're going to commandeer public land or in the land in front of the old fort, we're just going to commandeer this field, which is otherwise used for, um, you know, for, for political rallies, build a hospital. Do you know what's happening? Right in front of the president's house, Rashtrapati Bhavan, all the way out along the road called Janpat, the, uh, you know, uh, Rajpat, the, the, the place of the road of government up to Janpat, which is the people's road. The government is continuing to refurbish that area. You know, it, precious government resources are going to make a so-called vista in central Delhi when they should Im immediately scrap that and shift it, built a hospital on that land, for God's sake, you know, show that you have a commitment to the people and so on. You just don't see it. So you, you can bring in, you know, so many oxygen cylinders from China, so many um, um, of the medications needed, so many va vaccines, that's fine. But the government must show its commitment to the people, Paul. You know, you can't import a solution to this. Governments have to do a lot of things by themselves and they're just not not doing it. Mr. Modi, in fact, doesn't seem to be seized of the gravity of the situation. You know, he's been now making statements, but he's not seized of the gra gravity, the seriousness of purpose. His health minister, Mr. Harsh Vardhan, actually has a record in this. You know, yes, he's an ideologue of the far right, Paul, but he's a doctor. And during about 25 years ago, he played a role in India's polio vaccination program, a very credible and good role. I'll give it to him. You know, Harsh Vardhan is sitting in the seat as health minister with a record, even though he makes ridiculous statements now. He has a record. Why doesn't that record somehow inflame him to act as a responsible health minister and say, you know what, we cannot be buying arms right now. We cannot be building the Vista. Follow the Chinese, build a couple of hospitals. You see what that will do, Paul. Yes, it will provide relief to people. It will also send a message to the Indian people. The government cares. The government is taking this seriously. The government is going to find a solution, is going to manifest its resources. The other day in Kerala, which is a state of 35 million people in the southwest of India, where the government is a communist government, the health minister K.K. Shailja, who was profiled in the Guardian, they called her Corona Slayer because she was actually able to uh, hold down the infection rate in Kerala, a state in the Indian Union. She gave an interview just a few days ago saying that if we, meaning the left, were in power in Delhi, we would nationalize the whole health system. We just do it now. We just say this is a major catastrophic problem. We're going to just nationalize the whole health system, not bits and pieces of it. And what will we do? We'll build a hospital where there is a large monument. 
I mean, for God's sake, this is not the point uh, time in, in history to build monuments. This is the time to build hospitals. And imagine the symbolic impact of in central Delhi, right where everybody, the government says, we're going to just build a large hospital with a thousand beds right now. And we're going to just nip the crisis of lack of beds, lack of oxygen in the bud. Also, we're going to immediately import medical oxygen making machines. If we can't produce them fast enough, we're just going to import them and give every hospital a medical oxygen manufacturing unit. Because as I say, it's not rocket science to make medical oxygen. You know, it's a very simple device. I have seen those devices. They are not that complicated. The government says we're just going to do this, you know, outright. We're, in, we're going to take from our budget. India is the world's largest importer of weapons. We're just going to stop buying jets and we're going to stop. We're going to not produce, you know, something and we're just going to take it to get medic. That will lift the confidence, the morale of the country. You know, what I have learned from looking at Cuba in the middle of this crisis, China in the middle of this crisis, these and Vietnam, these countries, the leadership of the state works to lift the morale of the people. And then the people say, OK, let's not go out without masks. Let's wash our hands. Let's keep physical distancing. You don't do these things seriously if you don't think your government is serious. And I think that's something that the Indian government is not prepared to learn. It's not going to learn this lesson. Well, it seems that whether it's India or United States or Canada or all the, you name it, uh, the defense of property rights, uh, whether it's the pandemic or whether it's the climate crisis seems more important than whether humans uh, survive or not. Anyway, thanks very much for joining us, uh, Ricardo and Vijay. Pleasure. All the best. And thank you for joining us on the analysis.news. Please don't forget the donate button and the share button and so on. And uh, we'll see you again.